Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast with WHIO meteorologist McCall Rydags and Kirsty Zontini. Remember, you can listen to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast anytime you want on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and WHIO.com. Hi, McCall. Hello, Kirsty. How are you? Good. Uh, doing my podcast from the basement today. We switched it up so Gia could watch Care Bears. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I heard that you have you guys did a nice remodel to the basement. Mm-hmm. Was that a, a perk of being home a lot more with coronavirus stuff? That was everybody. I feel like had a pandemic project, and yeah. that was what we did. My husband just you know that's what he did every weekend is try and finish the basement up and made like a little movie room. So. That so we've amazing. moved up my podcast to the basement today. <laughs> I love that. Well, that's awesome. For everybody that's watching, you guys get a new view from McCall's house. And that is her uh, newly upgraded basement. So that's great. Um, <laughs> people probably spent a lot of time in their basement this week. We had quite a bit of rain that came through, mm-hmm. which not a bad thing, McCall. No, it wasn't because m- most of the Miami Valley was abnormally dry, if not a moderate drought. Yeah. And then we got buckets of rain in like three days. And at one time, it, it was kind of like a little too much rain. We right. almost had that flooding threat there for a few hours. Um, but it did help to, you know, take down that uh, drought conditions across the area and get us into a little bit of a better place. But now we're not completely back to normal, right? Um, which is a little bit why we're having this podcast today, which you'll hear more about as we go through the next 30 minutes or so. But the rain was helpful for sure. Yeah, I agree. It was nice to see it. Um, Of course, it's right when we're seeing peak fall color. But thankfully, we're not too late into October that a lot of the leaves, I mean, some have come down. But Mm -hmm. we talk about, you know, once that scission layer gets going, then it's just any little breeze will take all the leaves. (laughs) So thankfully, we are kind of we hit that heavy rainfall before we're getting so late into our fall color season that it was a waste, which is good. A lot of people have been really sending us great photos and loving the fall color, which is a good thing. But we have a guest this week that's actually going to talk about something different, not fall color. That's what I talked about last week, actually. We missed you, McCall. We're happy that you're back. Um, But we're going to talk more about our wildfire season. And if you watch Channel 7, you know, almost every day we have a story updating what's going on out west. And the images are really hard to see of the destruction that's going on with the wildfire season. Um, I think it was last year, Ryan, you can correct me, maybe the year before that, when Australia was dealing with a really, really rough season. Um, But our guest, who has actually been on before, Last time he was on, he was talking about what he does for the National Weather Service office in Wilmington and uh, rivers and definitely not fire, but instead water. This time around, he is going to talk about his experience with fire because he is also an incident meteorologist, which is really neat. Maybe a term you have not heard before. But Ryan, welcome so much to the show again. Hello. (laughs) Hello. Hello. Thanks. (laughs) Welcome. a bit about... uh, incident meteorology for people that maybe have not heard of this term before, but it is a special branch, I guess, of meteorologists, we could say, for the National Weather Service. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so the Weather Service, um, a lot of times we, uh, we don't exactly think of wildfires here being from Ohio. I mean, I grew up here all my life, and you never really heard anything about it. Now, granted, we do get the oddities of probably a handful of years ago, Gatlinburg, Tennessee had a, a one yeah. big event. Uh, but it's it's very rare, especially for the Midwest. Um, not a lot of forest, not a lot of uh, burnable stuff. And our windows are so small for burning. Um, different story when you get kind of west of the Mississippi. Um, so 
uh, as you guys were talking about what you see on the news and everything, lots of uh, terrifying images coming out of uh, the Western states. But uh, as far as uh, combating the wildfires, uh, generally what, uh, what the federal government will do is assign what they call an incident management team uh, to these fires. Their, their main goal is to oversee uh, kind of the battle of the fire to kind of manage the personnel on the ground. Um, and with the Weather Service, uh, they, we've partnered with these incident management teams and they'll send out meteorologists uh, on the fires to basically aid in that kind of decision-making process and trying to figure out the best way to combat the fires. Uh, one of the biggest factors in the fire is the weather itself. Uh, it's mm -hmm. the biggest driver uh, that rapidly changes uh, in some cases, uh, minutes, hours, days. Um, so the ever-changing weather environment. So having a meteorologist there on site, they're able to uh, get the support they need uh, to aid in that decision-making process. And that's where the Weather Service uh, has teamed up with them to provide uh, meteorologists. There's about um, 85 or 90 of us across the country, uh, more obviously being from the West than in the East. Uh, but when the West, they start to exhaust their resources, a lot of times they'll call on people from the East to go out and kind of bolster um, uh, the need when it's necessary. So that's uh, what we do um, uh, being from the East is we'll head out West and give them a hand. Okay. So when you say, uh, you know, weather plays a huge role in fire, um, let's, let's dive into that a little bit more. Obviously, people may immediately think of, you know, well, how does the wind impact a wildfire? But people may also just disregard the fact that thunderstorms in general can spark fires and they can also develop when fires are going. So do you want to kind of in, maybe embellish a little bit more on that when you're talking about, you know, you're providing that aid as the meteorologist. So what are some of the weather criteria that you're hitting and telling those uh, fire crews on the ground that you're monitoring? And, and let me just sure. jump in and add a little bit to that as well. There is a phenomenon called a dry thunderstorm. And that goes to kind of what Kirsty is saying about thunderstorms, because you think rain and lightning, but there are other types. Absolutely. Um, so kind of starting it out and setting the stage a little bit, obviously one of the number one things you need that we, we routinely don't get out here, uh, here in the Midwest is drought. Mm -hmm. uh, drought in the West is much, much more on a grand scale than what we see here in the Midwest. We think drought and we think three weeks without rain. When you get out West, they're talking about three months without rain to where uh, areas are just extremely dry. And that basically allows the vegetation to dry out and become susceptible to fire. Now, kind of getting into more of that, kind of the, the real time, the, the short term weather conditions, there's a whole handful of things that goes into what can drive a wildfire, whether it be kind of the idea of the winds that Kirsty talked about. Um, I mean, obviously wind will push a fire. We can see it, I mean, with as little things as burning in uh, just a little campfire. Right. Um, wind can kind of drive your flames as to where they're gonna go. You see them dancing around because of the wind. Well, basically all you're doing on a wildfire is on a much grander scale. And you don't have a fire ring or, around it. You're just burning everything in sight. Um, the idea of the dry thunderstorm, it's, it's real, and that's kind of what's driven uh, a lot of what we saw this year, and generally in big fire seasons, is you get a big lightning storm. Um, as far as this year goes, obviously the big players have been California as normal, uh, Oregon as well, and even to smaller expense, uh, Colorado. Mm -hmm. And uh, lightning storms were the driver of, of the California fires. I mean, basically what happened was they had 
generally one big event that brought many thousands of lightning strikes um, to the area over extremely dry fuels driven by drought um, and basically overwhelmed local resources to where um, they weren't able to get to every single fire to put it out or it grew so rapidly to where they just weren't able to get around the fire. Uh, the term dry lightning, I mean, a lot of times it's the way the thunderstorm goes is you'll get, you will have a little bit of rain a lot of times underneath these thunderstorms, but the footprint of that rain is so small that any lightning strike outside of that thunderstorm uh, will may not receive the rain to kind of extinguish it. And depending on the type of fuel that it, that it kind of strikes and whether it be heavy brush or heavy timber, if it's able to kind of, we'll say, survive any rain that does fall, once the rain passes, then you're, you're able to kind of just open up that burning window. Um, another thing with thunderstorms, obviously, we see it all the time around here. Not only do you get rain, thunder, and lightning, but you get wind yeah. um, very soon with that thunderstorm to where... Um, obviously you start a small fire in an extremely dry area and put a little wind on it. It's kind of off to the races type of thing. And that's what happened. I mean, you see the, they call it the August complex fire out there and yeah. in California, it's now surpassed 1 million acres, which is a record, uh, by far for the state of California. It just, it started with uh, several lightning strikes and then a little bit of wind. And I mean, it, it was off to the races to where even with thousands and thousands of resources, it just wasn't in some cases safe or some cases possible to kind of corral this fire. So it's just continued to grow. And I mean, we still see it going today. I think it's been burning now for a couple months uh, and they're still working on it. So, I mean, it's just a, it's, it's a, a, a process uh, to do it as safely and efficiently as possible. And I think wind is very tricky, especially out west when you're talking about mountainous terrain, because it's not just necessarily the direction of the wind, but how it's going up and down and around the mountains that can enhance those fires and oftentimes can make the forecast as an incident meteorologist, I would imagine, a little bit difficult. Sure, absolutely. Uh, we we kind of look at what we deal with here, very flat, uh, uniform terrain to where your general winds are your large scale winds are what we're seeing at the surface most of the time. There's very little terrain uh, to play into that. I mean, then you get out west and you start dealing with mountain meteorology to where you're dealing with terrain that might go from 2,000 to 10,000 feet over a, over a mile to where even just sunlight and that sort of terrain can right. drive winds to where it's more, it's more of a micro scale pattern um, obviously your large-scale winds can can get in there but most of the time you're dealing with a terrain driven wind in complex terrain that just leads to a lot of times swirling winds and uh, very hard to kind of pinpoint the exact wind for that area um, so the good thing for I mean kind of this uh, the process of fighting wildfires is a lot of these firefighters are all required in their training to have a basic understanding of this stuff. So most of the time they're not totally caught off guard and it's not their first season or they're not mm -hmm. new rookies at this to where there's good leadership out there that's able to help keep the, keep the people out on the ground safe. Let's talk about real quick some of the tools you're using when you are out. Because Ryan, you've been out multiple times. This year alone, you've had a couple missions. Um, so first let's talk about the tools and then if you want to share where you have been already. Um, but yeah, when you're, when you're helping those fire crews, 
what do you have? I'm assuming a laptop. Do you ever send weather balloons up yourself? Like what is that? What are, what are you using? Sure. Um, kind of the, the main thing that we obviously carry is a laptop. Um, a lot of the tools that we're using are basically a lot what any uh, backyard weatherman could get. I mean, we're just web, a lot of it is web-based um, material, whether it be um, uh, data sponsored by universities or, I mean, just however you can kind of fetch that data per se. Okay. Um, a lot of radar applications, we're using just basic wet, uh, weather radar applications, whether it be a GR analyst or, or something of that nature. We're using that as well, but we also do have our weather platform similarly to what we have here in the weather office, uh, kind of on a remote scale. Um, so we are able to access that as well, but the data is available to anybody on a, generally a public website. Uh, so we're just kind of using that stuff as well. Um, as far as weather balloons go, we do have that capability um, to where we can launch weather balloons directly on the incident. Uh, we can track those up through the atmosphere with receivers that we plug into our computer and then harness the data and ultimately ingest the data into the national weather models themselves um, that, that you guys use and what anybody else could use. So basically it's just kind of trying to force that weather model with more data uh, and maybe a more data sparse area. Uh, other tools we use, we can set up uh, actual weather stations out on the fire. Uh, we can find uh, good locations, whether they've already burned or areas that they think they have uh, pretty well secured and put uh, actual weather stations out there, similarly to what you may see at like an airport, okay. per se, like a full-scale weather station. Uh, we can order them in, they fly them in uh, from Boise, and then we're able to go out and set them up as well. And then also just like a handheld weather station. I mean, we see they're called Kestrels a lot of times, that's the brand, but any handheld weather station, I, I mean, we'll, call, we'll carry them around if we're driving around the fire and just kind of find points of interest that we're interested in or, or areas that you might not have the data that you want. We'll go there and sit and monitor it for a few hours just to kind of grasp that data that we don't have. Um, so, I mean, we have a whole, we have a whole toolkit of stuff we can use, um, but a lot of it's nothing that that any any person couldn't get just looking on a web browser, which which actually makes it pretty cool for people that are interested in the science themselves. They don't have to have the multi-thousand-dollar equipment right. or subscriptions to look at it. They could look at it themselves, and uh, that's just basically because the great platform of the internet, to where data is available uh, more now than ever. So it's it's pretty cool. That is neat. So where have you been so far? We'll just start with this year. So this year, um, I started out, um, I, this year was kind of weird with, with the coronavirus. Um, they initially were trying to not have so much domestic travel, mainly through airfare. Uh, so the thought was, us guys in the East, they were hoping to not send us anywhere because of potential exposure. Yeah. And, and transmission. Um, obviously, when California and Oregon had their lightning storm, uh, resources quickly were exhausted. And um, so then we, uh, first assignment I went, I was down kind of in, uh, I guess it'd be East Central Arizona, kind of like the shallow um, air, Pine Top Lakeside area up in the White Mountains. It was about 7,000 feet or so. Uh, I was down there for about 12 days. Uh, worked on a couple fires down there and then flew home. Um, obviously with quarantine restrictions and everything, um, they, the idea was to quickly 
uh, re-dispatch a person just because so potential exposure in the office. Uh, so I was home for about five days uh, from there and then got sent to Oregon. And I was in Oregon. That'd be kind of a, right in the Cascades, Central Oregon. I was there for about uh, 20, about three weeks. Wow. Um, so um, about five weeks in total. Um, I was out West this year. Uh, but in comparison, I mean, a lot of those guys out West, they've been running for seven, eight weeks this year. It's just been an incredible season that um, huge sacrifices were made, not only in the meteorology department, but just firefighters in general have just made a huge sacrifice this year. Um, just working around the clock and a lot of them since March and April this year, just been running uh, 14 days on, two days off, or 21 days on, two days off. So a huge amount of respect going out to, to the people out there that are doing uh, tremendous work. Yeah. I have a question. So how close are incident meteorologists getting to the actual burning fire? You talked about placing sensors, you know, in burned areas already or an area that, you know, is going to be safe from, you know, obviously your equipment burning up. Are you getting close? Are you working at the local weather station uh, that's nearby? So what's common, um, they'll set up what they call an incident command post. And basically what you're going to find there, and this is most of the time, they'll set that post up in an area there they feel that's safe, um, well away from the fire. Uh, that's not always true. As we all know, fires move at a rapid pace. Um, but most of the time they put it there and they'll have logistics as such as showers and caterers and areas that you can set up tents or whatever uh, for you to get your sleep in. Um, it's not always played true this year. They burnt through or near a couple incident command posts to where they basically evacuated the command posts on a moment's notice. Whoa. It's 2020, so I mean, why not? <laughs> oh my gosh. But, but I mean, most of the time we're kind of far away, but I mean, when we go out to the fire line, I mean, we'll be basically walking the fire line if it's deemed safe or we'll be a quarter mile away or something, just getting a good vantage point, trying to see how the weather's playing out and how the fire behavior is working, um, how our forecasts are verifying. Uh, most of the time we'll be with what they call an F-band or a fire behavior analyst. And basically we work in tandem with each other as, as weather drives the fire behavior uh, more often than not. So we'll work kind of hand in hand with them. So often we'll walk a, a lot with them and, and kind of just brainstorm and bounce ideas off each other to really try to just help each other as much as we possibly can and just get our, our forecast dialed in as, as much as we possibly can. So, I mean, most of the time we're, we're a ways away, but I mean, there's a lot of times to where, I mean, if they're doing like a back burn to where they're lighting their own fires, trying to fight the fire, I mean, we'll, we'll walk the fire lines with them, just seeing how things are working out. So, I mean, we're not exposed near as much as the, the firefighters themselves, but I mean, we are trained and everything to, to walk the fire line, essentially. Wow, that is crazy. Mm -hmm. I, I was just thinking, um, when, you guys, when you're out there, obviously, working with a fire behavior analyst, and you know, your forecasts are really important. I know McCall and I, we get, 
we get very, we can get down on ourselves if we, you know, blow a forecast um, or leading up to a big event, you know, we get stressed out because we know that there's a lot of businesses and different events. And, you know, you just think of all the people that are impacted by what your weather forecast is and how you're communicating it. So as a meteorologist, especially with a high stress job like this one, as an incident meteorologist, what is that like for you? How does that take, does that take a toll on your mental state after a while? Um, or what do you do to keep yourself calm and keep yourself focused in, in some of those high stress scenarios? Uh, I definitely think it's stressful, no doubt about it. I mean, you're dealing with people that are extremely exposed. There's a lot of, there's no business or building to run into. Uh, a lot of these guys are hiking out five miles away from any vehicle. To where they're extremely exposed to the elements, whether the main thing obviously being like thunderstorms, lightning, uh, severe winds, uh, and things like that. Um, extreme safety is taken by the incident management team in conjunction with the meteorologist to try to keep people out of that situation. Um, oftentimes, if, if there's convection, thunderstorms, we're alerting these incident management teams an hour or two ahead of time of the potential of what may be occurring the message is relayed to the field and oftentimes these uh, resources, if possible, are pulled from the fire lines and put in an area of safety, most of the time being a vehicle. Um, that's kind of the main thing um, as far as that goes. Obviously, dusty winds and stuff like that, you try to give as much lead time as possible. Uh, sometimes it's, it's possible, sometimes it's about five minutes worth of lead time, but when they're doing this, they build safe what they deem safety zones to where if something bad were to occur, these these uh, these firefighters and fire personnel are able to um, basically go to this safety zone, knowing that it's met the specifications that if something bad were to happen, that they would be able to ride it out in this area um, and, and remain in a safe state. Um, as far as a mental state goes, yeah, it's draining. I mean, we work. 16 to 18 hour days for 14 to 21 days straight. And wow. um, I mean, it's a pretty high stress environment, especially when you're, when you're burning houses down. And I mean, and in cases there's some fatalities, uh, if you're unfortunate enough to have that. Um, it's, it is high stress, but um, I feel like the training that, that we've received, um, and, and a lot of times, a lot of these meteorologists have an abundance of experience. Um, I've been doing this for about four or five years um, to where you just gain experience and you're able to kind of, I guess, keep your cool or, or just it's another day um, to, to where you just you, you you're confident in your abilities and your training. Um, most of the time you've got people, whether it be at weather offices or, or other meteorologists out in the field that if you need somebody to talk to, there's always somebody to talk to. Um, and I feel like that's kind of kind of the family that the incident meteorologists have built where there's always someone to talk to if you need to talk to them because more than likely a person's been in your same scenario and, and they're able to give you a hand, whether it just be with the conversation or whether it be actually give you some advice. So it works out pretty good. Uh, it's, it's a pretty tight knit group. Oh, well, that's good. Cause I, I did wonder that I was like, Ooh, that, that's a lot of pressure there. <laughs> well, and I, I had the same, I had the same thought, Kirstie, you know, I, I, I just know how, and this is nowhere near the scale of what Ryan is talking about, but how if it rains five days in a row and all the people just want to know when is it going to be sunny out and 
sorry, it's going to rain another day. But for you, it's, it's the opposite. People are like, when is it going to rain? When is it going to rain? And every day, especially when you get into that three more, uh, four months time range where it's just like not raining at all. It's, you kind of have to let that go and just focus on the day that you have ahead of you. Um, we're running out of time. I know this. So I want to start turning the conversation to locally in the Miami Valley. And we know that it's much different than out West, but we still have um, a lot of things that are in place that could lead to fire danger, especially this time of year. And we did just get out of um, moderate drought for a lot of the area, but still dry conditions in the fall. Can you explain why it's so dangerous? Yeah, I think, uh, and the thing with Ohio is it's awfully tough, especially when we get into this time of season to where we are starting to pick up some rain now. Um, and we were pretty dry there, as you noted, uh, really just before this last little round of rain. The good thing about that was um, the leaves were still on the trees rather than on the ground, um, to where that's a lot of times your flammable material on the ground that would carry a fire would be those leaves that have fallen and they hadn't fallen yet. The good thing also is, I mean, we look at our weather pattern kind of looking at the next five to 10 days and we're moving into a period of a pretty good rain, mm -hmm. um, not a whole lot of abundant sun. Obviously our sun angles are dropping off, days are getting shorter and that's gonna really limit that fire danger. Um, moving forward as we get into October and November, we're cooling off. Um, but I mean, you look at it from a fire perspective, and I mean, we are, through the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, there is a burn ban in effect mm -hmm. um, as we speak. It's seasonal and it's the same thing every year, but from the hours of 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., there, there is a burn ban uh, in place through the state of Ohio. So, I mean, they take this very seriously, trying to limit that potential. Um, a lot of resources are out west right now mm -hmm. and maybe not at home. Um, so, because I mean, the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, they send crews out to, to wow. Colorado, California. Um, and, and so they just try to take that precaution as much as possible. And that's why we see these burn bans every year. Like, I believe it's either September, October, November, or October, November, yeah. from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. They, they try to limit open burning as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense. And people really do need to take it seriously because, like you said, you know, resources aren't necessarily just sitting in Ohio ready to go. And for a lot of people, you know, one bonfire could turn into something really dangerous, um, especially if you're underestimating, uh, especially as the leaves fall later into fall. And if we go back into a dry period, you know, I, the fuel could be there, even if you're doing a bonfire at night. Um, and you really do want to make sure that you're a checking with your city to even see if you're allowed to do that. Um, and then be making sure you're as safe as possible because you see on a very large scale how fast just small little minuscule things of weather can impact a fire. But, you know, in your own backyard, it could end up being very dangerous. Yeah. Sure. And, and yep. going back to what you were saying, Ryan, is even if we're getting out of drought conditions because we have that added rain, once those leaves start to fall, mm -hmm. you know, it's pretty much dry tinder everywhere yeah. for things to, to ignite. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that was super interesting, Ryan. I know that, you know, you have had a very busy year and what you said earlier to the firemen and women that are actually on the ground fighting, you know, it's not a desk job for 18 hours a day. They are 
working hard in super dangerous conditions, first responders, all of them. Um, so, you know, our th thoughts and prayers as well. And for people that are just watching their homes get destroyed. It's flooding makes me really sad because it's one of those weather events that it starts and it's just happening, you know, and, yeah. and you can't really stop it. You can't get into your basement. You can't, you know, get into a safe spot. Um, and with the wildfires, when you're watching them rage on like that, it's, it's kind of the same thing of, once it's going, if your home is in that area, mm -hmm. you need to evacuate, you need to take things seriously. And then for the firefighters, you know, they're doing everything they can. So um, last year was rough to see this year as well, I guess. And, and again, you know, we're meteorologists, not necessarily climatologists, but um, it is interesting. Can you add anything or any perspective that you've picked up, especially since California is dealing with a record year for their wildfires? Um, with more of these extreme drought events. And we talked about it, McCall actually interviewed a climatologist yesterday, just about how we're getting more, we're dealing with more extremes here, even here in Ohio of extreme wet periods, and we'll go into dry period, and we'll go into a very wet period, you know, that kind of thing. So anything that you've picked up just being out west and kind of talking to people who experience these wildfires more than we do. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it is, I mean, we touched on it. I mean, as a meteorologist, I care about the next seven to 10 right. days. I mean, I'm not a trained climatologist. I don't claim to be um, to where, as far as the climate question, I, I don't have an answer for that. I mean, I don't study that during my day job. Um, I, I don't touch on it at all. Um, extremes. Yeah, there are extremes. We're having them. I mean, obviously California just had a record season. Um, but it, I, I don't I don't know whether it's a cyclical thing or whether it's um, stuff that we've done in the past. Uh, we've gotten awfully good at putting out wildfires. Yeah. Um, you look at the resources that are available between air tankers and everything like that. We put out a lot of fires to where in that ecosystem prior to man putting out fire, fire was natural. Yeah. Um, to where areas burnt routinely, uh, limiting the overall amount of fuel. Uh, we didn't have houses in the forest like we do right now mm -hmm. um, to where the monumental losses of personal value wasn't a factor then because there were no houses there. Um, mm -hmm. So I think there's definitely a human factor. I don't, I, I'm not going to touch on if it's climate or if right. it's, it's whatever. I care about the next seven to 10 days and the overall safety of a firefighter when I'm out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think there are some human factors, whether it be we're real good at putting out fires or whether we have built in the wrong place. But I mean, we look at it from that perspective of we've also built on beaches and right. we see those houses coastlines. torn down by hurricanes. We build along rivers. Uh, so and, I and, mean, and I know what you're saying, Ryan, in the sense that you know, before homes and things uh, were in those woods and before we had man-made ways to put fires out, they would just burn they the air. They would just burn. And then that would decrease the potential for a wildfire to ignite in those same areas because it's all charred. And then right. new life would grow, new trees would grow. And, you know, centuries later, then maybe there would be another fire that would take out that same wooded area. But now we are trying to contain these areas to keep them from overtaking people's homes but that's also leaving them vulnerable for wildfires down the line. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I mean, and they've done a lot of studies out there, um, uh, several universities and, and the Forest Service and the federal government themselves. Um, burning is a, is a healthy thing for a forest. I mean, yeah. um, 
So where, I mean, they've done tree ring analysis and everything to identify when stuff burn and um, uh, burning was a regular thing and uh, regeneration as far as tree species and what grows that was acclimated to that. So uh, every, we often see burning as a terrible thing. Um, but I mean, when we think prior to, to us being here, burning was the healthy thing for the forest on its own. I mean, we mm -hmm. just haven't started to have lightning storms in the past right. 80 years. I mean, they've always happened to right. where you always had dry lightning or lightning storms or things or, or fires because of it. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a tough thing to, to kind of pin down one thing or another. Um, I think maybe the, we've just kind of built a house of cards per se, mm -hmm. and, and we're kind of seeing, um, and, and the media presence now is greater than it's ever been, yeah. um, to where uh, anybody can get a video via cell phone. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think it's a, a lot more readily available, uh, but as far as a, a climate perspective, that's that's not my wheelhouse. Yeah. <laughs> That's usually what we what we deal with too. Is is like that's why we have climatologists come right. on. <laughs> that's their specialty. Yeah. yeah, but it is interesting though to hear your perspective of you know burning and and what a natural forest is doing and that kind of thing. That's that's just something in Ohio. You know we don't often talk about it. People might not even think about it. So thank you for adding that perspective. I do think that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, Brian, thank you so much for being on. This was really a great chat. Um, we're happy that Kirsty was able to join us this time. Uh, the last time she right before. Yep. But um, as always, I mean, this is Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast. If you haven't had an opportunity to listen to any of our previous episodes, head over to your podcast app on your Apple phone, Google Play, Stitcher, WHIO.com. We also have these video versions streaming on if you have a Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, just search for WHIO, download the app, and you'll see the video versions of these podcasts there. Thanks for joining us, Ryan, and for all of our listeners and watchers, we'll see you next time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.